Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome again to Daily Daf Differently. Today we're studying Sahim 56, Nunvav, and a tremendously interesting page for its agadic or uh, lore-based. There's some legal material too, but the really fabulous stuff on today's page is the non-legal lore material. It actually begins at the bottom of the previous page with a Mishnah that says that there are six things that the Jericho Jews did which the sages did not like, and three of them the sages put a stop to, and three of them they tolerated. First of all, this is interesting because I think we often have an idea that things uh, have to be perfect in religion. There's no room for the deviant. It's got to be perfect, and, and the rabbi has to stop anything that, that, uh, that uh, doesn't look exactly right according to the books. Actually, our Mishnah here today says that uh, there's a certain amount of uh, power that sages imagine that they have. The historical facts are probably somewhat different, but that the sages themselves teach there's certain things we just got to control, certain things we can't tolerate, and there are some things that are maybe not our first choice. But we don't actually have to bully everybody every single time. We can tolerate. We can tolerate some of their um, some of their uh, own idiosyncratic behavior, even if it's not exactly the way the books might say. When our page begins here on uh, Nunvav Amud Aleph, the first thing that it describes is the six actions of the biblical king Hezekiah, who you can read about in the book of 2 Kings, uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20 or so. And Hezekiah did, did six things, three things that the rabbis, uh, again, anachronistically say that they agreed with at the time, and three things that uh, they did not agree with. The, the quote-unquote good things that he did included desecrating the corpse of his father Ahaz, who was one of the Bible's bad kings. He, uh, he also destroyed two kinds of magical artifacts from, as it were, an, an earlier, less monotheistic and pure period in Israel's history. Moses himself made a Nahash Nehoshet, a copper serpent, which was supposed to play a role in the healing of people who had been bitten by snakes. You can read about that episode in the book of Numbers. But as you can imagine, as the monotheistic sophistication of Jewish people grew, that sounded awfully magical. So the rabbis were not happy about that. Uh, not happy, didn't, didn't feel comfortable about that biblical episode. And so it's true about the Bible as well, not happy with that, with that kind of magical episode. And so Hezekiah is praised for destroying that copper serpent. And he also hid away a book a kind of quasi, seemingly quasi-magical book said to be authored by Solomon of incredibly excellent uh, therapeutic or, or uh, healing techniques. We'll talk a minute about why that might be good. Uh, and then he did some things which the rabbis did not agree with. He, there was something about the calendar that he did that didn't quite match rabbinic procedure. He also cut off the, the doors to the temple and sent them as a, uh, as a kind of a bribe or a gift to the king of Assyria who was besieging Jerusalem. Not good. And the, the funny thing is that he, uh, the, the, uh, the Talmud records that the rabbis were not happy with the fact that he stopped up the Gihon Spring 
causing the water, Gichon Springs outside what was the city walls at that time, uh, and causing the water to flow what would be inside the city walls so that the residents of Jerusalem during the siege by the Assyrians could get water safely. Now, many of you have been to that site, which is an archaeological site today, incredibly fun to walk through uh, Hezekiah's Tunnel, the, the it's a very controversial area now because it's, uh, it's in the Arab town of Siwan, just outside the current old city walls, and there have been uh, some controversial uh, efforts to Judaize that area and displace some of the Arab residents, so it, it, does, it is somewhat controversial, but for many, many years it's been an archaeological highlight on a tour of Jerusalem to walk Hezekiah's Tunnel, uh, which, which uh, as mentioned, allows the Gihon Spring to be accessed by the residents of ancient Jerusalem when there was when there was a siege. Why wouldn't the rabbis want this? This seems like an incredibly good thing. The Bible, in fact, praises Hezekiah's in ingenuity, and it's quite cool. There was a, the inscription is no longer there, but in the 19th century, archaeologists found an inscription. It's I think in a museum in uh, in uh, Turkey, I believe. Maybe it's been returned to, to Israel. I don't know. Huge archaeological site. Great engineering achievement. That they uh, that they were able to cut through the limestone to get this water. Why wouldn't you like that? Why wouldn't that be a great a great success? And the answer appears to be, according to Rashi, at any rate, that no, no, he shouldn't have been so proactive. He should have waited on God to save them from the Assyrians. Similarly, the the praise to him for uh, destroying the book of healing remedies from Solomon seems to be a good thing. If people wouldn't heal themselves, they would turn to God. Uh, now, I have to say that this is shocking, not encouraging to the modern theological student of Judaism, also not the mainstream of Jewish thought. For the most part, in Jewish thought, we regard ourselves as partners with God in creation, not mere recipients of God's grace, and we think it's a good thing when human healers figure out, uh, figure out natural remedies. We think it's a good thing when human beings take a proactive steps to keep themselves safe and not just turn to God and hope for miraculous saving. It's pretty rare, but as we see on our page today, not unexampled that uh, that we find a, a religious teaching that says, no, 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 no just, just wait for heaven's help. Our page is an exception, but clearly it exists. Um, in the course of the other things that go on in our page today, that we, we learned that the residents of Jericho did some things that were not meeting with the rabbi's approval. Uh, as with many quite old rabbinic texts, this one is largely related to agriculture, uh, having to do with uh, the use of trees that belonged to the temple, having to do with the requirements of pay'ah, leaving a certain corner for the poor, and whether that turned out to be a little subterfuge to avoid paying taxes. But the one I'd like to focus on for the moment is the one about grafting trees on the eve of Passover and and uh, other things related to the tithe, but the things that I would like to focus on today is that the rabbis didn't like how the Jericho Jews recited the Shema. It says they wrapped kochin al Shema. What does that mean, they wrapped Shema? Clearly they didn't say something quite right. Uh, in some versions they didn't pause between the sentences. Some portions they, they put commas in the wrong places that, that seemed to distort the meaning. But the uh, some versions of the objection are that they did not say uh, the phrase, the non-biblical phrase that comes in our recitation of the Shema right after Shema Yisrael itself. We say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Then we insert in a low voice, 
a non-biblical phrase, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Me'olam Ba'ed. And then we resume with the biblical passage the Shema comes from, and you shall love the Lord your God. Uh, so our passage tells a great, our Talmud page today tells a great little Agadah, a great little uh, piece of lore about the origin of that phrase, the claim. You remember that the patriarch Jacob, his other name is Yisrael. So the story goes that Reish Lakish, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, tells the story that Jacob uh, intended to reveal a secret prophecy of the end of days to his children, and just at the moment that he was about to say that, he uh, his mind closed and he lost the prophecy. And he said to himself, oh no, it must be because my children are not religiously faithful. They're not worthy of hearing this. And so they turn to Jacob, whose other name is Israel, and say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Listen, Israel, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, we are with you. Don't worry, don't, don't suspect our faith. To which Jacob himself replies, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'olam Blessed is, is the name of God's glorious kingdom forever. In ch very charming, very charming little, uh, little Agadah, perhaps the next time you say Shema Yisrael, you will think of yourself in the role of those children reassuring our ancestor Jacob that we are in fact still keeping the path that Jews have kept for so many years, and you'll hear, you'll hear his echo of blessed is God's kingdom. In truth, in Bible times, and in temple time, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto Le'olam Ba'ed, blessed is the name of God's kingdom, was a phrase that people said the way we say Amen. When you hear a good blessing, you would, you would respond with that phrase in the temple. And so probably the real origin of why we do that is, when somebody said Shema Yisrael, the, the community would respond, Baruch Shem Kivod, and that's, that's how it probably entered our liturgy, but it's a terrific, terrific, terrific tale. Um, so, thanks for learning today's page with me, and I uh, hope you continue learning and enjoy learning. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.